So that'll be next week in worship. Now, let's turn our attention to Galatians chapter 5. We come to the last three aspects or portions of the fruit of the Spirit. Now remember, the fruit is singular, the fruit of the Spirit. They all come with believers. They all, we all get all these things. We are to manifest all nine in our life. The works of the flesh, which are before that, are plural. We get to, in some, to some degree, pick and choose our sins, uh, but the fruit we all get. So if you're able, would you stand with me as I read God's word? Our Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the opportunity to come here, uh, to be reminded of the price that has been paid for us, and that we are graven on his hand and written on his heart. Nothing can take us from the love of Christ. Remind us of these things now, Lord, as we feast upon your word, that our hearts would be enlivened and turned towards you, that we would manifest these things that you call us to in Christ's name. Amen. Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to read 22 and 23. Uh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is God's inspired word for us today, so please be seated. Traditionally, the, the fruit of the Spirit are broken up into three groups of three. Uh, it's the way the, the academics do and the commentators do. But I think we could really, if we were going to be serious about it, divide it into two groups. Okay? But the fruit of the Spirit is love. There's one group. And then the other eight are the second group. Because if you truly demonstrate and manifest the love of Christ, you will do so by the joy of Christ, the peace that passes understanding, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So I think those eight will naturally follow the first one. So let's look at the last three. First is faithfulness. And, and we're just going to go run through these last three and, and get to the facts of them uh, and how they impact our life and, and how it is we should demonstrate them. So faithfulness is the quality of being dependable, okay, from the Greek. Our example of faithfulness is God himself. God is faithful and can be relied upon in all things. He does not change. We call that the immutability of God. That is the unchangeableness of God. Uh, he doesn't change his mind. He doesn't go, oh, man. You know, Randy was praying last night. And he's got such a better plan than what I thought. I think I'm going to go with what he said. No, that's not the way that it works out. It's not the way that it works out. His plan is unchanging because it is perfect. So God is faithful and can be relied upon in all things, and his people should, in turn, be faithful as the Spirit enables us. So we love God because he first loved us. We should be faithful because God is first faithful, and he's faithful in all things. Faithful to us because he is faithful to himself. And we're going to quote a couple scriptures here. Faithful to himself or to his name's sake. Isaiah 48 for my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut, off, cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. 
So the motive of the Lord here in restraining his judgment is himself and his great name, the glory of his own name. In Ezekiel chapter 36, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. So I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the countries, and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. From all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. 2 Timothy carries over in the New Testament, chapter 2. The reason God remains faithful, even if we are faithless, is he cannot deny himself. He cannot change his mind. He has no need to change his mind because his will is perfect. And once he decides to do something, he will continue to do that. He cannot deny himself. God cannot lie. He cannot go against what he has said. And all he says and does is perfect. No need to add or to change anything. The author of Hebrews tells us the same thing about the Son. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful as a servant to testify to the things to be spoken about later. Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. The distinction of faithfulness between a servant who is a in a sense, a hired hand, someone who comes in from the outside, and a son who is part of the flesh and blood. So the New Testament most commonly, most commonly uses faithfulness and similar language in the context of the stewardship of our gifts for ministry and service. So think of the rebuke of the scribes and Pharisees, chapter 23 of Matthew, who tithe mint and dill and cumin. Now, those are listed particularly because have you ever seen them in their natural state? I mean, get, get some dill weed, okay? It's about this big, okay? And they're tithing off of it because they want to do everything in accordance with the law. They want to be right and they want to make sure that they're right and they're boasting that they're tithing even off of these so tiny little things. Jesus says, but... You're neglecting the weightier matters of law and justice and mercy and faithfulness. See, the faithfulness is associated with justice and mercy. So it kind of refers to the faithfulness towards our neighbor, to those around us. Now, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 25. Because I want to read this one. And then we'll refer to it a little bit. Matthew 25. Verse 14, <coughs> it is familiar to us, um, but it is important that we review it and see uh, how it applies to the, this part of the fruit of the Spirit, the faithfulness. Matthew 25, verses 14 and following, this is the parable of the talents. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Now, you have to understand the trustworthiness that is rated to these servants. Because there was no phone to call uh, back and see how things were going. There was no um, legal, um, uh, what's, what's your, uh, 
I'm sorry, the, 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 the word that your broker ha is responsible to you. He's got a fiduciary duty to you to make sure that your stuff grows and that he is honest with that. And if he's not, then I guess the SEC is going to get, not the Southern Conference, but the, uh, the, stock, the exchange company, they're going to get him and put him in jail. There's none of that here. Okay, So he really had to trust these three servants. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five more. So also he had the two talents, made two talents more. But the one who had received the one went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So not, long, not a long time after the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them, and he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. I have made five talents more. Here's the important part. His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He says the same thing for the one who had the two talents. Enter into the joy of your master. When does he enter into the joy of his master? When does he know the fullness of the joy of his master? It's not until he demonstrates the faithfulness. Then he knows. It, it, it doesn't say that it was a happy place, that there was joy, and that they experienced it all. It says afterwards, after he was faithful, then he entered into the joy of his master. The same type of thing is here. We are called to be faithful, and you want to know the joy of the Lord? Demonstrate faithfulness to the Lord. Then you will know the joy of the Lord. Being faithful with what the Lord has blessed us with and to what he calls us to brings us joy. All right, now, back to Galatians. Let's look at gentleness. Gentleness and meekness are often interchanged within the New Testament. Now, all it takes in our society, unfortunately, is a little misinformation and access to a virtual audience, and almost anybody can destroy somebody else's life. Uh, we've seen this on a regular basis. There are numerous examples uh, from college students disagreeing with what their professors taught or how they taught it, or maybe they thought their professors were being mean and teaching history or something like that. Um, they were triggered by some self-defined microaggression, so they start a, uh, a petition, and before you know it, it goes to the dean, and the dean has a sit-down with the professor, and there's a big stink. Okay. It seems we've lost the ability to interact reasonably with opposing viewpoints. Right? We need our, our safe spaces where the only, perspe only perspective we hear is surprisingly the same as mine. Okay? That's what I need, and then I'm good, and then the world is a happy place. That's not the way the world works, unfortunately. When it comes to public discourse, much of society seems to remain in a constant state of uh, outrage, and outrage makes us unable to process reality. I mean, think of when you have been your angriest, were you able to think logically and clearly at that moment? Probably not. Your emotions were running high, you were uh, beat red or whatever it was, but you were not able to think logically or deal rationally with, uh, with the issue before you. And the same type of thing is happening in our world today. We're unable to deal with these intellectual challenges and determine a wise course of action in a calm and deliberate fashion. All that is to say that gentleness has gone out of fashion. 
Okay? It used to be we would be able to talk to one another. Even though we were talking about very hard things, we were still civil and sometimes even gentle to one another. All that gentleness is being crushed by the louder voices. So let's get a rowdy crowd and we'll go to the Supreme Court Justice's house and try to intimidate the justice. Or uh, let's uh, call, have a call to arms by politicians about those who want to interpret laws differently. That's not gentleness. Why do we need such outcries and threats? Because we have lost the ability to deal gently with one another. Now, Scripture is full of the benefits of gentleness. You think, well, the loudest voice gets heard. Well, yeah, but there's benefits in gentleness. Psalm 37, the meek shall inherit the land. We see that referenced in Matthew uh, chapter 5, the meek shall inherit the earth. Psalm 45 celebrates the king who rides out victorious for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Zephaniah chapter 3 promises in the latter day the Lord will remove the proud and the haughty from his holy mountain and leave a people humble and lowly who will take refuge in the name of the Lord. And of course Zechariah 9.9 the Messiah will come humble on a donkey into Jerusalem. So Matthew as I said chapter 5 echoes the meek shall inherit the earth. Chapter 11, Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. Chapter 21, Jesus enters Jerusalem to fulfill the prophecy of Zechariah. Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, Paul encourages us to clothe ourselves with compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. James chapter 3 says, demonstrate in our life that our works are performed in meekness and wisdom meekness and wisdom now gentleness is not a personality type well i just wasn't born gentle nah, that, that doesn't fly here okay it's not a personality type gentleness this is not a lack of emotion gentleness is not weakness gentleness is not timidity gentleness is the moderation of emotion not the absence of emotion it is the moderation of emotion not its absence it is a form of strength that enables a distinctive type of action that, in the long run, is the most productive types. As James says, it bears a harvest of righteousness. The biblical view of gentleness presupposes strength. You can't be biblically gentle if there's not a strength behind it. Okay, that's, that's what you're talking about. Gentleness is not a lot more than niceness. A gentle person is not someone who never disagrees, who doesn't upset the apple cart. In fact, uh, there is a kind of niceness that is counterfeit uh, of the true and godly form of gentleness. We might call that being smarmy. Ever heard that, smarmy? Smarmy means ingratiating in a way that is perceived as insincere or excessive. Okay, you can tell the difference between somebody who's truly gentle and somebody who's being smarmy. I just like that word, smarmy. Gentleness is not self-control because self-control is listed next. It is distinct there. With self-control, our anger and our passions are held back, are held in check. Self-control restrains our passions. Gentleness, our anger and our passions are tamed and trained by wisdom. That's the distinction between the two. Gentleness is self-restraint. It is self-mastery. Self-mastery. 
The word translated here in Galatians 5 means to submit one's strength in a posture of weakness. Okay? You have to be strong to be gentle. But you're submitting to, by that gentleness your strength. Okay? It's, it's like it's an imperfect illustration. But you're speaking softly, but you've got the big stick. Okay? That's gentleness. It's a calm acceptance of God's judgment regarding any situation, even if that judgment results in a personal hardship. Gentleness is the opposite of hubris. Hubris is haughtiness or boastfulness. Gentleness is not that. The gentle person entrusts vengeance to the Lord. It is his, he says. Out of love for the offender, we don't only just trust the vengeance to the Lord, but we pray for the offender and his renewal and his our reconciliation. Gentleness is a gift. It is received. It is not achieved. I'm just going to work for it. I'm going to get gentle. No, you have gentleness as part of the fruit of the Spirit. You have to exercise it in wisdom. Our cooperation with the saving grace of Jesus Christ is in the cultivation of virtue with our union with Christ. We're united with Christ. Cultivate that in how you live. All right, self-control. Is this the toughest one? Uh, I don't know. If, if, you, if you have love, then you can have all the rest, okay? Self-control. Proverbs has a lot to say about self-control. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. If you lack self-control, you have no defenses. You have no defenses. That brings terrible consequences. Second Peter says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness. And when it comes to this part of the fruit of the Spirit in particular, when we're talking about exercising self-control, we're talking about the control up here, the control of our minds. Solomon said, above all else, guard your heart, that's your inner being, that's your mind, for it is the wellspring of life. Because what is in here is going to come out here or is going to come out here. Okay? So we have to guard our minds, we have to exercise self-control. We all have taken things into our brains that we would rather not have taken in. Whether it would be attitudes, images, words, whatever, we would rather not have them in there, but they are in there and we have to exercise self-control so they don't come out at an inappropriate moment. Okay? Scripture tells us that what we think in our hearts is what we are. Romans, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what their nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. You have to control your mind. You have to control what you take in. Then you have to control what comes out. Lack of self-control leads to ineffectiveness, fruitlessness, our own destruction. Think of those people that you may know who have never been able to exercise self-control in their lives and what has that done to them? Leads to addiction, leads, leads to destructive behaviors. Why don't they have any friends? Because they can't control their mouth, they can't control their actions or their emotions. Remember Achan, Joshua chapter 7. They had just taken over and destroyed Jericho. And the Lord said, 
take everything in there and devote it to me. Devote it to me. That's what he said. Achan sees with his eyes, covets with his heart, some silver and gold, and takes it and buries it underneath his bed. And then they go to Ai, which is the next city, and they take a beating. And they come back and say, Lord, what happened here? I mean, we didn't lose anybody taking Jericho, and all of a sudden we're getting the stuffing beat out of us here, and there's, there's sin in the camp. So they parade everybody past the elders, and it comes to the tribe, it comes to the clan, it comes down to Achan, and they say, confess your sin, and, and Achan says, yeah, I saw it, I wanted it, I took it. Achan was killed, as was all of his family. Now, why does his family, why was his family killed? Odds are they knew he had hidden it and were on his side. Yeah, we'll stash that away for later. They did not exercise the godly self-control that they were called to. The very concept of self-control implies that there's a battle going on within us. Part of me wants this and part of me wants this. Okay, that old part, that, that sin that still remains, it wants to do this, but the part that is called by the Lord wants me to do this. Our self produces desires we should not satisfy, but we should control. A man must deny himself and take up his cross and follow Christ. Deny myself. Exercise self-control. So the emphasis in Scripture on self-control is really goes against the culture and, and the cultural trends of today. It's much easier to say that you're a victim of biology, uh, the circumstances, uh, uh, sins committed against me, it's, it's easier to blame those things than it is to exercise self-control. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, All things are lawful to me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. 1 Peter chapter 1, Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Prepare your mind for action literally means gird up the loins of your mind. When was the last time you girded up your loins? Um, Well, uh, if I came in here, you know, if this was Reformation Sunday, I'd be dressed differently, okay? I'd have my dress on. And, and, but that's the way most people, in, in men and women in the first century, would, would dress, with these long robes. And if it was time for action, it's called girding up their loins, they would take the hem and they would bring them up and stuff them into their belt so that they were able to fight or flee. So that's what he's saying here. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be ready to tackle what is before you. You're prepared to, to exercise the self-control in your mind. So what are the things in this world that cause us to be out of control? Oh, the list is long. It's probably a little bit different for everybody. Okay, frustrations. Um, uh, I didn't eat breakfast and I didn't eat lunch and somebody comes into me and tries my patience in the afternoon and I just blow up at them. Okay, so there are some circumstances. Oh, my blood sugar is low, but I wouldn't have been angry with them if it wasn't something in my heart already okay so maybe anger what else causes us to lose self-control overindulgence okay overindulgence in food sex obsessions with things like recreation self self self-fulfillment workaholics uh, information obsessed with information you know we have more information but we're dumber than ever 
Okay? We just are because we take the information in these little bitty sound bites that we hear. We only, you know, we'll only read one or two sentences. We're, we're just hearing the, the four-second sound bite. We're watching the video clip, and we fail to go to source material. We fail to read entire books, um, and, and we're, we take that little bit of information as gospel truth, and we run with it. How many times has that gotten people into trouble? Lots. That's the general look at self-control. The word that Paul uses here means control over my personal, sensual passions. Doesn't mean we're not called to be passionate. Just that as believers, those passions are under control. Paul illustrates it by an athlete. An athlete practices self-control in all things that they may compete and do what? Win. They're there to win. We are here in the same type of thing in the Christian life. We are not here just to putz around. We are here to win. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. What does self-control look like? Well, it looks like a disciplined life. We flee from sin. We master our moods. We watch our words. We restrain our reactions. It might mean for you sticking to a schedule. Managing your money, maintaining your health, whatever it could be, keeping your, I know, not eating chocolate too much, okay? That's, that's a restraint. I have to exercise self-control, okay? Keeping our passions in check and subject to the Word of God. How shall I know what, my, what the right outlet of my passions are? And should they be? I find it here in God's Word. To bear the fruit of the Spirit, all of life must be subject to God's Word. We have to let the Word of Christ dwell richly within us. It's not until then that we will understand how it is we are to live out this great gift, the fruit of the Spirit. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and and this is a a tall task. We've seen faithfulness and, and how you are faithful to us You're faithful to your great name. We've seen how we are to exercise gentleness and how it is that we can exercise gentleness in this world. It's because of the strength that dwells within us. For you have come and taken up resonance with us. You're stronger than the things of this world and we are called to exercise gentleness with that strength. And then, Lord, this self-control, it is hard. It is hard in a world that doesn't exercise much self-control. But as believers, we are called to deny ourselves, to rely upon Christ. What would you do, our Lord? How would you respond? Heavenly Father, we all know the areas in our lives where we lack faithfulness sometimes, where we lack gentleness sometimes, where we lack self-control sometimes. And they're probably all different for each of us. Heavenly Father, bring these to mind. The next time we are faced with a situation, an individual, a circumstance, whatever it would be, and instead of perhaps responding in a way that we used to, Lord, let us think of these things. Let us think of the fruit of the Spirit and how we are to respond because of that. 
how we might be gentle in response, how we may not lash out but exercise that self-control, Lord, and of course, most of all, how we might love in the same way that Christ has loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.